0: Morning, Journey. We're in a series called Anthology, like Brian said, and Anthology is a collection of songs or poems or literature. Like the book of Psalms is an anthology for the Jewish people. And we decided we wanted to go through the great songs that we sing around Journey so that we could engage more fully, so we could jump into the deep end of our worship and grow in our worship this summer. And our goal isn't just understanding more. It's growing in our awareness and the scope of how great God is and who he says we are and who he created us to be so that it impacts us here. Jesus says the greatest command is to love your God with your whole heart, soul, mind of strength, not just up here. 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 So we have to grow in engaging our emotions and our imaginations because God is much bigger than we can even comprehend. So what I want to do today is give us some handles and helpful on-ramps to help us engage in worship. So we're going to talk about the song Hallelujah here below, which deals with some great themes and that's going to help us grow. The first verse says, we're an altar of broken stones but you delight in the offering. You have the heavens to call your home, but you abide in the song we sing. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, they all built altars and worshiped the Lord at them. And in this case, an altar represents a genuine desire of a person to give themselves wholly over to the Lord. That's an altar. They do that, we do that because of God's work in us And we want to memorialize that with our lives. So it's saying that my life, all that I am, is dedicated to you, God. My life is an altar. It's saying we're an altar dedicated to you, and you delight when we commit our lives wholly to you. Then there's this amazing idea in the second part of the verse that worship leaders get really excited about. God abides in our praises. He lives in our praises that points back to the early days with God's people when they were nomads they were nomadic they were traveling all around they would set up a tent called the tabernacle and God would come in a big cloud and abide with them it's pointing back to that concept psalm 22:3 says you are holy you dwell in the praises of your people dwell, inhabit, God literally sets up camp in the praises of his people. So something happens when we praise. It's this powerful, special presence of God that scripture says happens when we sing and when we worship. He abides in our singing. He lives in our worship. And the psalmist is specific that it's God's people's worship. It's not all of creation. He doesn't say God abides in all of creation's worship. He is everywhere, but he is a special abiding in our worship. So do you ever feel like God is far away? Like he's distant? Like you just don't feel close to him? Well, Psalm 22 says that he is here in a special way in our worship. He's promising us that that's a promise we can know that he is here with it the next part in the song is the chorus it says we sing hallelujah six times over and over so what does hallelujah mean well for starters it's not english <laughs> hallelujah is based on the hebrew word hallel which is to praise okay hallelujah is to to praise, and Yah is a shortened version of God, Yahweh, the Lord. So hallelujah is praise the Lord. Sometimes we see it in English translated as praise the Lord, and then sometimes they don't translate it because it's this special word that carries some sacredness to it, so they kept it hallelujah. So in Revelation, you see the angels and all the heavenly hosts and all of heaven people singing hallelujah, They kept that word. They didn't say praise the Lord. They kept it hallelujah. Now, a bunch of the later Psalms are called hallel songs. Okay? They're praise Psalms. 104 to 106 are the first section. Those Psalms, 104 to 106, end in the word hallelujah. And then Psalms 111 to 118 and 120 to 136, They start with the word hallelujah, and then they describe the things that you're praising God about. And then there's the third group of halal songs, and that's 146 to 150. So the last five songs, and they're called the hallelujah psalms because they start with hallelujah, and they end with hallelujah. And then they have the word halal a whole bunch of times in between, and they're describing hallelujah what we're praising. Eugene Peterson wrote a book on the Psalms. He said, the hallelujah Psalms, those last five Psalms, are extraordinarily robust. They put all the acts of God's salvation and deliverance, his creation and providence on display, and festooned them with hallelujah garlands. They put the sounds of the hallelujah into wind and water hallelujah, into the widow and orphan, ravens and angels, the lute and the harp, hallelujah, in the sea monsters and the saints. The five hallelujah psalms are a cathedral built entirely of praise. No matter how much we suffer, no matter our doubts, no matter how angry we get, no matter how many times we've asked in desperation, how, Lord, prayer develops finally into praise. Everything find its, finds its way to the doorstep of praise. Praise is the consummating prayer. This isn't to say that other prayers are inferior to praise, only that all prayer pursued far enough becomes praise. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's a call to worship. Like saying, come, praise the Lord, or let's praise the Lord. Hallelujah is a call to worship, but also it's worded like a command. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And praise means to boast in, to extol the virtues of something. It's associated first and foremost with singing praise, but it's also making music, dancing, and bearing testimony. And praise in the Psalms moves from private praise of the individual out to corporate praise as a people, And then to all creation, everything that has breath in Psalm 150 praises the Lord. And even inanimate objects, like trees, praise the Lord, and rocks. Psalm 148 is one of the later Hallel songs. And that starts and ends with Hallelujah. And then all throughout the psalm, it says, praise the Lord, Hallel. And psalms are all poetry, They're songs. They have rhyme and meter. They're set to music. And the Israelites would regularly gather and sing these psalms. In fact, one of the last things that Jesus did that we read about, he and the disciples got together. They had Passover. They sang a psalm. We know it was one of the last hallelujah psalms. And then they got up. And because they're poetic and artistic They act as a guide to help us fully engage our heart, our whole life, to love God. So we can love Him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because they're poetic. So let's read Psalm 148 together. Starts off: hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. In the song, it refers to 10,000 angels, and that's a reference to Revelation 5, where all the angels are enthroned around God. They're around the throne, singing, worthy is the Lamb, the Lord Almighty. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. All you shining stars. Praise him, you highest Heavens, the furthest heavens, and you waters above the skies. Heavens, angels, sun, moon, they're inanimate objects in the cosmos, and they're all singing praise to God. They're singing hallelujah. It's not just a call to worship for us. It's all of creation, all of the heavens. Hallelujah is cosmic. We're here today to worship a huge, massive God of grace and glory. Psalm 1 uh, nine, Psalm 19:1 says the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So I want to talk about what does it mean that all the heavens are praising the Lord. So I want to get some perspective on how big that is. So if you are really into the stars or you're an engineer, you are really going to like this next section. <laughs> Here is a picture of the earth from NASA. This is a photograph. That is so cool. It's an actual photograph. Just to get some perspective on the size of the earth, the earth has a circumference of 24,901 miles. So if you had a highway that went around the earth, it would, going 75 miles an hour along that highway, it would take 14 days for us to travel around without stopping. That's how big the earth is. We can kind of conceive that. Next is the sun. Now, scripture says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. And that was this phenomenal moment when God said, let there be light. And out of the mouth of God, light shot out at 186,000 miles per second. That's how fast light travels, 186,000 miles per second. That's the speed of light. So a light year is light traveling at 186,000 miles per second for a year. So I did the math, and that's 5, 5.88 trillion miles. Got that in your head? No, it's not possible, okay? It's, and then the sun itself is 10,000. Let's put that picture back up. It's 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. But it's, so that's really hot, (laughs) but it's 93 million miles away. So at 1.86, 186,000 miles per second, speed of light, light travels from the sun in eight minutes to hit your skin. We're really glad that we're not any closer because we would burn up and die. But this distance makes all of life happen on earth. Pretty cool. But what I want you to see is the size of the sun. My friends who already know this are like, oh yeah, here we go. The earth, let's see, the sun is a million times the size of the earth. So you can fit a million earths in the sun. Let me give you a picture of how big that is. This is, this represents the earth, this golf ball, okay? And you find yourself on, on there, there's Bozeman, right? And the, if the earth is the size of a golf ball, the sun is 15 feet in diameter. That's as tall as the stage is behind me. That means you can fit, there are 960,000 earths, almost a million earths in the sun. That's how much bigger the sun is. It's gigantic, And our sun isn't even the biggest star, anywhere close to the biggest star that we know about. It's huge. And out of God's mouth, he breathed the stars. It reminds us that God is enormous. He's bigger than anything we can even imagine or dream of. He's bigger than our wildest imaginations of him. Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. God didn't lift a finger to make the heavens. It was by the word of his mouth. And it goes on to say, the starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. We worship a star-breathing God. We begin to realize that we worship an unrivaled, uncontested God of power and glory and might, and there is none like him in all of creation. So let's zoom out a little more. If we were to travel to the edge of our solar system, just our solar system, as fast as humans have ever gone, the fastest we've ever gone is Apollo 10, 24,791 miles an hour. That's pretty fast. We did pretty good. But it would take 385 years to get to the edge of the solar system going as fast as we've ever gone. If we just flew a plane to the edge of our solar system going 659 miles an hour, it would take 14,000 years to get to the edge of our solar system. So that's how big our solar system is. Then we zoom out to a rendering of the Milky Way. That's just our galaxy, one galaxy in the universe, okay? The Milky Way is uh, 105,700 light years across. So you could place 372 million of our solar systems across just our Milky Way, 372 million. Got that in your head? <laughs> it's too big. That's just our galaxy. But here's a picture of the visible universe. It's just a photo of it taken from Hubble. And you see what's on there. Thousands of galaxies. We estimate, get this, that there are 2 trillion galaxies in the universe. And they're about 10 million miles apart each. That's how big the universe is. The visible universe is estimated at 93 billion light years across. It's inconceivable. (laughs) But the point is, hallelujah is cosmic. Hallelujah is to the highest heavens. All the stars, all the galaxies sing hallelujah. So when you hear hallelujah, and the psalmist is saying, All the heavens, the heavens are called to worship. The point of the golf ball is not how small we are, it's how big God's creation is, how incredible it is. Even with billions of galaxies, remember, you are unique. Isn't God's creativity amazing? Can't you just feel the joy in his creativity because he's able to conceive of how big it is and that it came out of his mouth and that you are unique. He's huge and yet down to the smallest detail, he has created unique us in his image. Psalm 148 goes on, all the heavens and angels praise his name. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. The psalm starts big picture, bigger than we can conceive of. The heavens, the universe, all the angels praise the Lord. And And the psalmist is saying, The heavens are singing praises to the Lord. And then the rest of creation is called to worship. It goes on and says, Praise the Lord. From the earth, you great sea creatures all in all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds. Now there's something happening here in this section that the Jewish listeners would have gotten right away, but we have to point it out. First, it's that God is a God of order, right? On the first day, God created light, and he said it was good. And on the second day, he made the sky and said it was good. And on the third day, he made dry land and seas, plants and trees, and said it was good. He's a God of orderly, order, all orderly. And he's set apart from all the other beliefs. The Babylonians, they believed in gods of chaos, God was the God of order. So we see in the psalm that part of who God is, his peace, his shalom is bringing order from the beginning. All throughout the psalms, it's repeated. The heavens and creation are singing hallelujah to this God of order and power and rightness. But when he says the great sea creatures and the ocean depths, the Jews would have thought of this as super scary. Okay, the seas were scary place. That's where storms happened. It was out of control. It was chaos. And the psalmist is saying here that God brings his order even to the seas. The sea creatures are singing hallelujah. Psalm 96, 11 through 13 says, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that's in it. Let the fields be jubilant, everything in them. Let let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. In his power and love, God brings order out of chaos. And then we see rejoicing because the Lord is coming, Jesus. So Psalm 148 goes on he says kings of the earth and all nations you princes and all rulers on earth young men and women old men and children let them praise the name of the lord for his name alone is exalted his splendor is above the earth and the heavens he hits the heavens again and he is raised up for pe- his people a horn that's jesus that's a reference to the messiah he's raised up the messiah the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people closest to his heart. And then it ends with hallelujah. The psalmist talks about the kings of the earth. Well, the kings of the earth oppose God. And it's saying he subdues them with his love and his justice and his power, his might. And even they join in God's praise. Why are we called to sing hallelujah? because his splendor is above the earth in the heavens, because he sent his son Jesus to be with us, to come show us who God is, to see God's character in Jesus, to see his love, his kindness, his goodness, his mercy, his grace, his faithfulness. We see all that in the character of Jesus. And so we sing hallelujah. And it goes even further. Did you, did you know we aren't even called, we're not just called to worship. We're made to worship. We're designed to worship. Like a trumpet is made to be played. We are made to worship. Isaiah 43, 21 says, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Did you know you were formed and designed by God worship him. That's why we're able to have these incredible worship experiences throughout our life and connect to this imagery of the Psalms that God's given us because we're created to. When we consider creation and our part of it, we begin to recover order in our lives. We're restoring the correct orientation in our lives and how we're designed. Just by saying the name of God, we're reorienting ourselves. Eugene Peterson in that book says, "When I name the name of God, I have a grip on a rope which can be pulled from in which I can be pulled from the mire of subjectivism. My life is now reoriented to another who is more and other than I am." The act of worship through speech, singing, playing, music, and prayer brings us into order with God. One word after another. One sentence after another. When I first went to church as a kid, I had told you last, at the last sermon a few weeks ago, I went with family friends. And everyone has a different experience when we go to church for the first time. For me, it was when I was eight And the very first thing will be no surprise to you that I really liked was the worship music. And I connected with the big God that we sung about, the God of creation. And it made sense to me. It rang true for me. And then when I hit youth group later, I started to learn a lot more about who Jesus was. And that he came to sacrifice himself for me. And that he loved his friends really well and he even loved his enemies and he could do really cool miracles. But I didn't, it didn't all click for me until I learned about his sacrificial love for me. And what do you do when you learn that Jesus came down and died to be with you, to be in relationship with you? I think you either say yes I want that. Or you say, no, not for me right now. I'm good. I'll be the captain of my own ship. Jesus seems like a nice guy and all, but maybe later. But for me, when I learned about that, I wanted, as soon as I found out about it, to commit my life to him. And that's the image of us being an altar of broken stones. We're imperfect, but we dedicate our lives to him in response to what he's done, to his great love. And he delights in that. In fact, Jesus says in Luke 15, 10, that God and all the angels celebrate when just one of us repents from our sins and turns to follow him. So when you sing, we're an altar of broken stones, remember when you first committed your life to him. You can remember that. That's what it's talking about. And then every day we recommit our lives to him. Remember that time when you realized how much Jesus loved you, that he carried the weight of your sin on his shoulders and all the pain and destruction that our sin caused. He took that all on for you and me because he loves us. And when we devote our lives to it, We're making our life an altar to worshiping God. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. And if we believe he's good, we follow him with our lives. We're an altar devoted to him. We're not perfect, but we turn from our sin, commit our lives to him. The last section of the song is my favorite. It says, oh, what a wonderful day to come when every knee bows before your name, but we will not wait until, your, until it does, for here and now shall your kingdom reign. A few weeks ago, I preached on Jaira, and I shared something that I learned a couple years ago when I was taking the perspectives class that we host here at Journey. And it's the saying that the good news of Jesus' love for us, so that's called the gospel. The saying is, the gospel came to me Jesus' love came to me because it's on its way to someone else. Yes, God loves you. God loves me. And the gospel came to you because he loves you. But it also came to you because it's on its way to someone else. It doesn't stop with you or me. God has a plan to take your love and have you share it with someone who doesn't know Jesus. Did you know that over 2 billion people on earth have no way of hearing about Jesus. Still, today. There's 7 billion people on the earth and 2 billion have no way of hearing about Jesus. They're called unreached people groups. They either have no Christians in that people group who speak the language or they have no written language or all of the above. Can you believe that still is happening today. But scripture says, after Christ returns, every knee will bow. And it's a beautiful picture that we're not there yet. And I thought I was pretty motivated for that. I thought that I cared a lot about that because we support missionaries to Unreached People Group. I oversee our global outreach at Journey. Like sharing Jesus is really important to me. But I didn't realize how skeptical I was and in, in how it was happening. I had heard that God, that Jesus was being shared with people who were, were of Muslim descent and that people were starting to follow Jesus who were, had grown up in a culturally Muslim. I'd heard about that. And I, and I actually thought, yeah, I'm sure that's happening a little bit. It might be a sprinkling or a scattering here and there, but but it's not a big movement like some people are saying. That's what I thought. Then I took a team to, our, to visit some friends in Lebanon who were working there, and I got to visit a church that I knew had been formed six or seven years ago after the beginning of the Syrian war after the, after Syrian refugees started coming out of Syria to get away from the war. And this church had been planted just to reach them. They're culturally Islamic. Okay. And I was skeptical that it was a very big church. I, I, I thought it would, I would go in and there'd be, you know, 20 people. And I walk in and it's a big warehouse. The main room was about two thirds the size of this room. And then there was another giant room, the equal size, off to the left that was connected. But those were like the nosebleed seats, right? And and I made the mistake of sitting near the front. So I'm in the center near the front. I got there really early so I could meet, you know, the leaders. This is what pastors do. We get there early and we meet people. And so I sat down and, and then people started filling in. And the room was filling with Syrian refugees who had grown up and lived their whole lives just knowing about Islam. And in the last six years, they had all converted to following Jesus with their whole lives. And they were in this room. There was not an empty seat. More people than what are in this room overflowing into the room next to it. Children were hanging off the lights. It was crazy. And we're all worshiping Jesus. And you know what they talk about in the churches in Lebanon? They talk about Jesus is the son of God and they really focus on who he is. That is what almost every sermon is about. That's what all the songs were about. It was incredible. God is moving. He is reaching new people for him. The gospel came to me because it's on its way to someone else. People ask me all the time, because I lead worship almost every week, and how do I continue leading worship every week? And I've been doing it over 20 years now, and I can tell you a lot's changed for me. But it's because it's easier for me to connect with God than in the beginning, not harder it's easier because I've grown in what I know about him. I've grown in my heart knowledge of him and my connection and my understanding of how incredibly good he is, how loving and kind and gentle and just and righteous he is. Now, my wife can tell you, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of Christian TV shows and movies because. They're a little can be cheesy, but the new show, uh, The Chosen, is pretty amazing. So if you want to get to know a little bit more of ima- your imagination of who Jesus is, his his personality, the Jesus that's the guy who's playing Jesus on The Chosen is the best example I've seen so far of of who Jesus is. It, it's incredible. It really communicates joy of Jesus and love in ways that I've never seen before. And that's a little side note, little bonus for you. It will help with your worship. It will help with your connection with Jesus to watch that Jesus. First, I connected with God who was big. He was the big picture God. And that rang true to me. He's our creator. Then I learned how much God loves me And my awareness of him grew. Then I learned that he also loves all the people around me, even the ones I didn't love. His love is so much bigger than mine. Then I learned that he loves all the people in the world like that. And that his plan, 1 Timothy 2 says, is that he wants everyone to know the truth of his love, that all might be saved. God is moving and he's way bigger than I thought. And when you see hundreds and hundreds of Syrian refugees come to know him, who grew up Muslim and they're worshiping Jesus as king, it changes everything. It makes me realize we're a part of something that's growing and moving and God's kingdom is coming. And it's already here, we get to see it now. And it's growing faster than I thought. And it's changing the world from the inside out. From the inside of every person who chooses to commit their lives to him. The inside of us, out to our family, and our neighborhoods, in our cities, and workplaces. It's happening here. And we're a part of it. Revelation 19.1 says, After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. This is John, the the revelator revelator? (laughs) from Revelation. It's his picture of the future. It's his vision of the future. It's a great roar in heaven, the angels and us. And all the heavens shouting hallelujah. When we join in worship, we're joining the angels, scripture says. We're joining them right now in worship. God dwells among us in our worship in a special way. This great God who created the whole universe brought his order and beauty. The great God who saves us, who loves us, who wants to be with us. Scripture says he re- Joices over us. Let's stand together and lift our voices and open our hearts to him. Let's sing hallelujah.
1: stones, but you delight in the offering. You have the heavens to call your home, but you abide in the song we sing. Ten thousand angels surround your bring you praise that will never cease. But hallelujah from you below is still your favorite melody. And we sing hallelujah. Should the fire that once burned bright become an ember my eyes can't see, I will remember your sacrifice, I will abide in your love.
0: Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.